0: You will turn with me to Mark chapter 9. We're in that section between the end of chapter 8 and the end of chapter 10, where Jesus teaches his disciples three times that he must first suffer and then experience glory. Uh, He teaches that his cross will come before his crown, but he also teaches his disciples in this section and us. That all of us who follow him must share in his suffering before we share in his glory. That we must carry a cross before we wear a crown. And so this week, we'll see what that looks like. It looks like you can't follow Jesus without humility. Hear the word of the Lord in Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all and he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms he said to them whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me john said to him teacher we saw someone casting out demons in your name and We tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you come and teach us, even as you took your disciples away privately, quietly, out of the way of all the distractions and the other people, and and you taught them. Would you do that for us this morning? Come and and take us away, bring us away from all the noise, all the distraction, and help us to hear you and to understand and to not be afraid to ask you what you mean when we don't. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I like hats. Hats. Now, you might think it's a necessity because I need to protect this head of mine, but I love I've always loved hats, and I'm grateful for a bald head because it makes hats easier. Um, But I got this new hat, and I just wanted to try it on and see what you think, okay? I'm excited about it. (sighs) You like that? Can you see what it says? It says, make me great again. Huh? It's kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of like that. Hold on. Uh, uh, Let me get a selfie. Yes. Nice. Okay. Make me great again. Isn't that great? I actually had this hat made. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So you like it? Do you do you not think this is a good hat for me to wear? I mean, is this not a good hat for a pastor to wear? Make me great again, y'all. Maybe not for a Christian to wear? Make me great. Wow, y'all are no fun. What 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 if I told you? What if I told you that the Bible says That we were great once, but Jesus came to make us great again. Huh? Did you hear what we read in Psalm 8 this morning? Jennifer read it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. That means, God, you are the greatest of all time. But then a few verses later, it says this about us. Yet you have made people a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. God, the great king, crowned the people he made with glory and honor. That means that God is the greatest, but he made people to be great too. So then... When God created Adam and Eve, which is what David was reflecting on in Psalm 8, when God created Adam and Eve, he made them to reflect his greatness in the same way that the moon reflects the greatness of the sun. God is the great, glorious king. He's the sun. But he made Adam and Eve to reflect his greatness and glory too. They are the moon. But something went wrong, didn't it? Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to be as great as God. They decided that they could be great their way, not God's way. And that, my friends, is why Jesus had to come. Because without Jesus, there is no way we could be great again. And today, God is going to tell us in Mark chapter 9 how we can be great again. The Jesus way, not our way. But I wonder do you feel that deep desire inside you to be great again? I know, I do. Is it there something in all of us that says, make me great again? It's right there in Genesis 1 and Psalm 8. Like Adam and Eve, we were made to be someone great and to do something great because we were made to reflect our great God who made us. But it's also right there in Genesis 3 that like Adam and Eve, we try to be someone great and do something great our way, not God's way. In fact, it, it runs all the way to Genesis 11 where there's this tower being built and they said, we're going to build this tower to make our name great. And now in Mark chapter 9, Jesus is going to tell the disciples what he came to do to make them great again. Here's what Jesus said to them. He was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, He will rise. That's the plan. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Jesus just told them what he came to do to make them great again, but they didn't get it. So, here's what he's going to do. In order to help them get it, he's going to expose and uncover two things for them. First, Jesus is going to expose and uncover their good desire to be made great again. And then, Jesus is going to uncover and expose their bad desire to be made great again their way, not God's way. Because until they see those two things in their hearts, they will not understand why he had to die and rise again. So, let's keep going and I'll show you what I mean. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? (laughs) I love how Jesus asks these questions that he already knows the answer to. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. I don't know if maybe Peter, James, and John, having just seen Jesus in all his white-hot, lightning-faced glory on the mountain, came down and started, and they weren't allowed to tell anybody about it, but maybe they started thinking, uh, we were the ones who went, right? We were invited with Jesus up there. Elijah and Moses were hanging out with us. And then all of a sudden this conversation about who's the greatest comes around. Maybe they started it. But, I mean, it sounds like a bunch of little schoolboys, doesn't it? Uh, Oh, yeah, well, watch how fast I can run. Oh, you think that's something? Can you throw a rock this far? That's nothing. I finished memorizing the Torah months before you did. Listen, you punks, you should see the fish I caught yesterday. Well, I I would show it to you, but it got away. Um, (laughs) Who knows what they were really talking about, but it was a great debate, to be sure. So there it is. They wanted to be great. Jesus knew all along this desire for greatness was in their hearts, but he wanted them to see what was happening in their hearts too. So, Mark says, he sat down and he called the twelve. Come on, guys. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So first, Jesus exposes and uncovers their good desire to be made great again. He said, if anyone would be first, did you catch that? I didn't see this at first, but Jesus doesn't condemn their desire to be great. He just tells them they're going about it the wrong way. Look, guys, I know you want to be great, so here's how you do it. If you want to be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. Say what? If you want to be great, you must be last of all and servant of all. Uh, Jesus, I think you've got this backwards. See, the word servant here is a specific word. It's it's one of several or just a few words in the New Testament that are translated servant. Um, It's the word diakonos. Diakonos. It's the word we get our word deacon from, diakonos. And this word would conjure up in the disciples' minds some specific images because the diakonos was one of the worst jobs a servant could have. The diakonos served the tables at banquets and family meals. They were like uh, our modern-day servers in restaurants today, but they didn't get tips. They were assigned a a section of tables to serve in a banquet hall, they waited tables. So when you think of diakonos, think of the server at your restaurant, except think they don't get paid. So these guys had to be thinking, uh, Jesus, I think you've got this backwards. Jesus, who is the greater one? The one sitting at the table being served or the one serving the tables? See, Jesus, we're the ones who sit at the table. Uh, We get served first, and servants get served last, if at all. Exactly, says Jesus. And in my kingdom, if you want to be first, you have to be diakonos of all, and that means you get served last, if you get served at all. You see, the world is my banquet hall. Jesus says, and I've assigned each of you to a section of tables. Each of those tables, and now I'm talking to you, you've been assigned to a section of tables. Each of those tables, tables like your house, your workplace, your school, the places where you shop, the roads you drive on, these are all your tables. Each of these places where you worship, work, live, and play are the tables to which you've been assigned. And each of those tables is filled with people. And Jesus says, I'm sending you to serve the people at those tables. If you want to be great, go be the servant of them all. Uh, But Jesus, uh, wait a second. (laughs) I can't do that. I thought being great again meant that others served me. I thought being great again meant me first. And so I ask, what about us? How are we doing at being a diakonos in all the places Jesus has sent us to worship, work, live, and play? Ask yourself this question. Do I use myself... To serve all the people in my assigned section of tables? Or do I use them to serve me? Jesus says, if you want to be great, you have to be last. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he's, he's working on these guys. He wants to expose their hearts even more. And so, Mark says, he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Children in that time were not thought of the way we think of them today. Today, our worlds revolve around our children. Think about it. Your family schedule orbits around your children, right? Or used to, for some of you, empty nesters. Back then, children were not considered so highly. They were inferior and therefore ignored. So for Jesus to say that anyone who receives a child in his name, that is on his behalf, receives him, and then says, not only that, if you receive a child in his name, you receive Yahweh himself, well, that's a huge statement to make. Because the word receiving there is the word for hospitality. We would say welcome. Whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me, Jesus said. And of course you'd want to welcome Jesus into your home. He's great. Of course you'd want to welcome the one who sent Jesus. He is the great God. Of course, you'd want to welcome great people, show them hospitality. Our kitchen table was given to us by a good friend whose father was one of the unsung founders of our denomination, the PCA. Our kitchen table was once Dr. Fowler's kitchen table. And some of the greatest heroes of the PCA, PCA have eaten at that table when Dr. Fowler owned that table. <laughs> Including, uh, you may not know this name, but to me, this is a big name. R.C. Sproul once ate at our kitchen table. But it wasn't my table at the time. That table has welcomed some great men and women. Who wouldn't want Jesus at their table? but a little child? And in this case, the word that Jesus uses for child is another one of those words translated servant or slave because that's how little children were thought of. That's how little children were thought of. They're servants or slaves. And, And Jesus is saying, welcome them to your table. Jesus is telling these guys, look, if you want to be great, then you must welcome the least like you would welcome me. You must welcome the person that you think is least as if he or she was the great God who sent me here. Am I willing to offer that kind of welcome to the people I think little of? Who is that for you? Don't answer out loud. Who is that for you? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Who do you ignore because you believe they're inferior? Who do you think is less than you? Who do you think is least among the people in your house, in your workplace, in your school, in this church, in your neighborhood, on this mountain? Who are the folks that you are least likely to invite to your kitchen table? Jesus says, if you want to be great, You have to welcome the least. Oh, but he's not done yet. There's still more of our bad desire to make us great again in our own way. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. (laughs) There it is. He was not following us. Whoever this guy is, he's not one of us. So right here, Jesus is exposing the us-them mentality in his disciples. And notice, Jesus did not say, he was not following you, Jesus. He said, he was not following us. That us-then mentality. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. So hold on, let's, let's stop right there a minute. Have you noticed how Jesus keeps saying in my name? I wonder if he's just suddenly trying to remind the disciples, hey guys, remember whose name is important here? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Remember that one from Sabbath school, guys? Remember Psalm 8? But but he goes on. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. What is spoken about Jesus is what's at stake here, not what's spoken about the disciples. And when I saw that this week, I had to ask myself, Jimmy, are you more concerned about people speaking evil of you or about people speaking evil of Jesus' name. Anyway, back to the disciples and their us-them mentality. Jesus says, the one who is not against us is for us. He's saying, look, this guy is doing the work of my kingdom in my name, and he is concerned for my name. He's not going to speak evil of my name. He's one of us. He's one of us. He's part of our tribe. You guys need to draw the lines of our tribe wider, Jesus says. By the way, Jesus says, this is our tribe, not your tribe. Thank you. You need to widen the circle of our tribe to include all of those who are doing the work of my kingdom in my name who are concerned for my name, widen the circle. Reminds me of C.S. Lewis's description of this us-them problem. He calls it our desire to be in the inner ring, the inner circle, to have our own tribe that we belong to, that gives us the sense that we are on the inside. Lewis said that all of us experience both a powerful desire to be inside an inner ring and a fear of being left outside of an inner ring. And then Lewis asks a couple of diagnostic questions to see if we have this inner ring disease. Let's see if, let's see if you have it. He says, has there ever been a time when the desire to be on the inside of that invisible line ever prompted you to treat outsiders in an ungodly way? Has there ever been a time when the, your desire to be on the inside of a circle ever prompted you to treat those outside that circle in an ungodly way? Lewis asks, have you ever neglected or shaken off friends in order to court the friendship of those who seemed more important. (laughs) Have you ever ghosted someone because you want to be in this circle and you don't want them to be in there with you? He says, have you ever derived actual pleasure from the loneliness and humiliation of the outsiders after you are already inside the circle? Have you ever looked outside of your circle at those who are outside and said, <laughs> he says, have you ever talked to members of your inner ring in the presence of outsiders simply to make the outsiders feel obviously outside? We all do this. We all want to live in our own tribe. We all want to be in this inner circle. We have theological tribes. There were people doing your work in your name, Jesus, but we told them to stop because they aren't reformed in their theology. We have denominational tribes. There were people doing your work in your name, Jesus, but we told them to stop because they aren't Presbyterians, or worse, they're not PCA Presbyterians. We have political tribes. There are people doing your work in your name Jesus, but we told them to stop because they aren't Republicans or they aren't Democrats. We have sports tribes. Now this seems silly, but this gets real right here. We have sports tribes. There are people doing your work in your name Jesus, but we told them to stop because they aren't all of all. We told them to stop because they don't roll tide. We told them to stop because they're on the team that beats my kids' team every year. We told them to stop because they're on the team whose parents are so loud and obnoxious. Uh. Listen, friends, this is about our relationships with our brothers and sisters. This is a brother they were trying to stop. So if we're at odds with or in a broken relationship with another follower of Jesus because they don't belong to our theological, political, or sports tribe. We're trying to be great without Jesus. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, you have to widen the lines of your inner circle because Jesus says, our tribe is bigger than we think it is. So Jesus exposes and uncovers their wrong strategies for being great again. So that that what he said about being killed and rising again will make sense to them. So that they will understand it. Jesus says, you want to be great, but you refuse to do it my way. You refuse to be last, so I, the first and the last, have come to be last for you. You want to be great, but you refuse to be servant at all. So watch me as I serve you as your diakonas. I will serve you so that you can serve others. You want to be great, but you refuse to welcome the least among you. And though you actually were the inferior little servant child, I have not ignored you. I have come to welcome you with open arms on a cross. You can eat at my table because I've given my body to feed you and my blood to satisfy your thirsty heart. You want to be great, but you draw the lines of your tribe too tightly, excluding even your brothers and sisters in Christ from your inner circle. Your name, your tribe's name isn't great enough. Mine is. So with my blood, I will draw the line of my tribe to include you, and I will share my name with you. Jesus says you can't be great again without me becoming last for you. You can't be great again without me becoming least for you. You can't be great again without me getting left outside the line of my father's tribe for you. The greatness Adam and Eve ruined at a tree, I have recovered on a tree, Jesus says. And then Jesus ends his lesson on greatness with this mysterious statement, verse 41. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Because you see, great ones get rewarded, right? Great ones get rewarded. So, the one who does the most insignificant thing for the followers of Jesus gets rewarded and therefore is considered great. And and they're not considered great for serving us a cup of water because we're great or because we've done something great. What did Jesus say? It's because we belong to Christ who is great and who became humble to make us great in him. so I think what Jesus is doing, uh, he's exposed their wrong strategies to achieve greatness so that they could understand what he came to do to make them great again. How he came in humility to make us great. And These disciples, though, were afraid to ask him. They didn't even want to think about it. That's what is interesting about this. They were afraid to ask him what he meant by killed and rising again. They they just didn't even want to think about it. They wanted to think about how great they were. And isn't that just like us? Like these disciples, our problem isn't that we think too much of ourselves, but we think too little of and about Jesus. So friends, let's turn our hearts to the one whom, to whom we belong. Let's turn our hearts to Jesus and his greatness. I want to leave you with this from Andrew Murray. Let's turn our hearts to Jesus and his greatness, okay? What is the incarnation But his heavenly humility, his emptying himself and becoming man. What is his life on earth but humility, his taking the form of a servant? And what is his atonement for our sins on the cross but humility? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And what is his ascension to glory? But humility exalted to the throne and crowned with glory. He humbled himself, therefore God highly exalted him. In heaven, where he was with the Father, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his sitting on the throne, it is all, it is nothing but humility. Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature, the eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. And so he is still in the midst of the throne, the meek and lowly Lamb of God. Friends, listen. You cannot make yourself great again. The only way you can be made great again is for the greatest of all time to become the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, the sin of your pride, and plants his humility, his humble heart in you. Let's pray. Father, help us, help us, help us to not think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less and think more about Jesus and his great humility. Would you do that in us as a people in this place?